Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Wednesday night late, we received word that hero of mine, Ken Rice, was near death's door and Jason went to to check on him and sure enough we we got the word Wednesday night that uh, Ken had passed away Ken Rice is an important important chapter in the story of OKC First Ken Rice served on R.T. Williams staff and we think, we think that Ken Rice is um, a pioneer and is the first to do several things. For example, we're pretty sure that his position as full-time minister of Christian education was the first of its kind in the Church of the Nazarene. Matter of fact, while on R.T. Williams' staff, he went and got a doctorate in Christian education, which we think was also the first of its kind in the Church of the Nazarene. He was so sought after that finally Kansas City lured him away from OKC first. And they went to Kansas City for a little while. And then R.T. Williams left OKC first as pastor and the church board did the right thing. They picked up the phone and they called Ken and Betty Rice to come back and to pastor our church. And they were here from somewhere around, I think, Betty, 58 to 61, thereabouts, as pastor of our church. After that, he went back to Kansas City and became known for decades, in fact, to this day, as Mr. Sunday School. When the Church of the Nazarene heard of Ken's passing, they wrote a letter, and, and I was able to see it, sent it to the family. They still refer to Dr. Ken Rice as Mr. Sunday School. Let, let me tell you what I love most about Ken Rice. I'll never forget the conversation that we had um, a few years ago. In fact, it was right around our 100th anniversary. And I was telling Dr. Rice all the different things that we were doing. Now, remember, he was down at the other location, down at Six and Francis, and, and the Straight Shooters was big, big, big ministry. And there were lots of church buses that were going around and scooping up kids and bringing them to church because at OKC First... It was not okay to believe the right things with your brain and not get your body involved. And so they did a whole lot of these things, so much uh, of these sorts of things that as I was telling him about the kinds of things that you are doing and we are doing now, from literacy classes to feeding folks in our neighborhood to the CCIO and after-school programs, as I told him about those things, he said, and I'll never forget this, this is the church I remember. <laughs> long before there was a John Middendorf, long before there was a Steve Green, long before any of us were thinking these kinds of thoughts, there was Dr. Ken Rice. And Dr. Ken Rice was saying, it is not enough for us to believe and understand and know some things with our minds. As a matter of fact, the only time when all of these things matter is when they finally get fleshed out at the ends of our fingers. 
Let, let me ask you this question that I asked Sunday school class full of folks that I just desperately love this morning, a young adult class. What does your body believe? For a long time, for a long time, Christianity has mistakenly, in fact, the word faith has been mistakenly applied, I think. When asked the question, what do you believe, we tend to have this tendency to respond with certain articulations of certain beliefs. Well, I believe this, 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 and this. And so long as you have the right answer to those questions, you could be in. As long as you can articulate your response to that question, well, tell me about your faith. Well, I believe this, 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 and this. It was okay. If you could get it right, if you could say it right, if you could articulate it properly, it was okay. But faith in the book of Revelation is actually something very different. We said this a couple of weeks ago. It bears repeating today. Faith in the book of Revelation has less to do with your capacity to mentally think through the issues and regurgitate the right kind of answer. Faith in the book of Revelation has more to do with fidelity and faithfulness. Faith in the book of Revelation is more concerned with what your body believes than what your head and your mouth can articulate. What does your body believe? Ken Rice championed and nourished and supported this belief that the gospel, if in fact we are telling the truth when we say things like, God has raised this Jesus from the dead. <laughs> if, in fact, we are telling the truth when we say things like, the kingdom is now, it is certainly not yet, but it is now. If we are telling the truth, then it's not just in our minds that that difference is made, but it has to be in the way that we live our lives. It has to be in the way that our bodies believe. What do your bodies believe? Because it is all too often seen like this. Well, I really, th I really think that the church ought to do more for, for the poor. I really think they should. Now, I'm not going to, but I really think that the, sh the church really should. Or I really think the church should be about the process of peace making and then peace keeping. Now, I'm really hard to get along with, but I really think the church should. Or Christians should be gracious and generous. And man, I hope I can get there someday. I mean, haven't we had the capacity, and I'm not pointing at anybody else more than I'm pointing at myself. I spent a lot of time looking in the mirror this week and asking myself this question, what does your body believe? Tall person in the mirror looking back at me. What does your body believe? Because we've gotten pretty good, right, at saying pretty loudly what we're against. <laughs> is that what Christianity is now? Well, of course I'm a Christian. Don't you know all the things I'm against? <laughs> yeah, but what are you for? What are you for? 
your salvation. You know, tell me all the things that you've been saved from, and some of those things are eternal in terms of their ramifications. And I get that, and I will even celebrate that with you. And then you may want to say to me, yeah, but there are a lot of this worldly things that I've been saved from as well. That's great. That's great. And I want to celebrate that with you as well. But listen, you are saved, all of you, not just your mind, but also your body. You are saved to something, we celebrated that in the baptistry today, and you are saved for something. And your bodies, your bodies, your calendars, your check registries. Okay, we have a lot of younger people in the room. There used to be these things called checkbooks. <laughs> and you could keep uh, a record of the, anyway. That's where I'll get all the information I need. If I've asked the question, what do your bodies believe? Man, um, I can say this because it didn't originate with me. I've got professors here in the room, and I've got the, the wife of Dr. Ken Rice there in the back. That was good theology, and I've learned it from decades and decades and decades ago. And again, it goes something like this. <laughs> the gospel comes out of the ends of your fingers. <laughs> The gospel comes out of the ends of your fingers. It cannot be kept within this cage called your private life. Now, we like it when it's kept inside the cage of the private life because then we can say a safe distance away from pain and discomfort. We can stay a, a safe distance away from the greatness of life. had a great conversation with the, with the good couple this week, and we talked all the time about how, man, there's just so much gray out there. There's just so much gray out there. Hey, listen, there's a lot of gray out there. What we can't do is retreat inside of ourselves and say, okay, well, everybody gets to believe what he or she wants to believe. That's really dangerous. What we have to do is we have to figure out how to pay attention to the compass installed by the victory of Christ and navigate all the grays. Now, the church in Thyatira, some were doing pretty well at this, some not. And to the angel of the church, the gathered up spirit in Thyatira, write this. These are the words of the Son of God. You may not know it yet, but this is already a shot across the bow. There were coins that circulated in this particular town that listed the Caesar as the Son of God. And so Jesus is immediately saying, hang on a second, I'm the Son of God. <laughs> and there can be no competitor kings or, or kingdoms that are threatening your allegiance to me, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Oh, this is all very important stuff. And it's all really characteristic of this city, Thyatira, where they had all kinds of trade associations or guilds, lots of artisans, people who worked on textiles and people who worked on precious metals, people who worked in the weapons industry. I kid you not, this was a place known for its capacity to work with bronze and develop incredible good weapons. And they knew as they worked with bronze, they knew as they worked with bronze that if you were going to make a weapon, you needed to make sure that your solution was undiluted because a diluted sword is not a very good sword. Diluted copper is not made for great stuff. And so they knew how to do it. They knew how to refine all of this stuff. 
And to the people who saw the, the benefit and the value of refining, 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 this is said, hey, this God, this Jesus, the Son of God, has eyes like flame of fire, the same kind of fire that's used to refine, to burn out the dilutions, and whose feet are perfect bronze. This is Thyatira, the smallest, the smallest of all the churches that will be referenced in these seven letters, and yet the largest letter. <laughs> and maybe it's because it's such a pervasive issue, this issue that they're dealing with here. It's still a pervasive issue now. I would call it, technical term perhaps, is syncretism. Maybe a better way to explain it is this, the capacity that we all have to pick and choose what we like about faith so that by the end of the cafeteria line, we have a faith that looks just like I like it and has none of the stuff that I don't like. You know, like peace. Here's a representation of this coin. On one side of this coin, you have the Son of God, quotes the Caesar, shaking hands with Apollo, the patron god of the bronze and copper industry. <laughs> so there was this guild. Maybe think of it as a soft union. And all of these people who work with bronze and copper would get together. They would get together and they would say, okay, uh, let's talk about our business. Let's talk about how we can further our business. And by the way, we have this deity, the god of all bronze and copper, Apollo. And let's just have a brief ceremony and let's give a little pinch of incense to the god of all bronze and copper. And then we'll kind of keep on keeping on. And there were Christians in the room. And sometimes the Christians in the room felt compelled to participate, to kind of go along and get along. And other times, Christians would say, no, I'm not going to do this, even if it costs me. And by the way, sometimes it really did cost them. Sometimes it really did cost them to not go along and get along. Sometimes it really cost them. They found themselves on the outside looking in, and there were some people who gave in. Some people gave in and compromised and diluted the faith, while other people said, no, I will not for any reason compromise. This faith will not be diluted, as you might expect. There was some pain involved. I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. I know that you're getting better. So as opposed to the church in Ephesus that was getting worse, Here's a church that was getting better. However, <laughs> but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice fornication. Boy, that word is dirty. And to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent <laughs> of her fornication. Okay, here's the deal. I mean, how often does the pastor get to use the word fornication from the platform? Amen? Right? But in all likelihood, this is not a sexual sin. Now, it could have been such things were actually happening. As a part of other faith systems, there were at times sex acts that were part of it. More likely here, this Jezebel, and that probably wasn't even her name, but it is an homage. It is a thought back to the Queen Jezebel who really wrecked the nation of Israel <laughs> by convincing King Ahaz, her husband, that we don't have to be completely pure if we'll just adopt some of these other 
customs, if we'll adopt some of these other ways of going about life that we see reflected in the, all the other people groups around us, that might be a good way to go along and get along. Jezebel tempted the king and therefore the people of God into harm's way. Compromise, compromise can do that. Boy, I've, I've picked on this guy several weeks now and I'm, I'm sorry to do it again. <laughs> But I, I do at times get a text message like I got not too long ago from somebody who says, okay, I am living this right now. I am going to church. You're telling me about this Jesus character. And by the way, I really like this Jesus character. <laughs> and I understand that I am being shaped in particular ways by this gospel message, and particularly as I am participating in it, and he's participating very well. Week in and week out, he's participating very well. He understands that he's being shaped in particular ways, but by the time he gets to work, he recognizes that work is actually asking him to do something other than what he's being trained to do as a follower of Christ. Now what? What happens when the core values and the ethics that come along with chasing this Jesus who is chasing us? What happens when you go to work on Monday? You've had a great Sunday. I mean, you, you sang and you put both hands in the air. You had a great Sunday, right? You participated very well. And you go with this, this glow on your face and you get to work on Monday and they're defining success differently than you heard it defined the day before. And not only that, they're asking you to behave and to posture yourself in ways that might be the opposite of what you've just heard the day before. And what this young man said to me is, what do I do? The good news is, this is not new. <laughs> There's better news than that. But this is not new. This kind of pressure has been felt for a long, long, long time. It's being felt here in Thyatira. What do we do when I go to work, at the school, uh, at the hospital? What do I do when I go to wherever it is that I work and somehow I feel pushed in a different direction, at least different than the one I feel led in as I'm following this Jesus? What do I do? The answer for some people, now watch this, the answer for some people is to compromise by taking faith inside. Here was the metaphor that we used with, with folks today uh, in Sunday school. It's an actual picture of Jezebel right there. <laughs> so, we get our tray and we go through the line. I told them in the young adult class, there used to be these things called cafeterias, right? And you could take your tray, you could go through the line, and here's the beauty of carrying your own tray. You don't have to have anything on that tray that you don't want. Hey, Amen. Because <laughs> whoever eats beets, ever, whoever eats that stuff. But I can get this that I like, and I can get this that I like, and I can get this that I like, and I can make sure that I avoid that stuff that I don't like. And by the end, I have a tray that looks just like me. The stuff that I like, and I've avoided all the stuff that I don't like. And here's the problem. We seem to have blessed that in the era of customizable everything. 
And some people are left with the distinct impression at the end of the day that your faith is customizable. Do you think your faith is customizable? Because I have before. There have been times when I've drunk deeply and I've wanted this message and this message and this message until it got to the part where I had to love my enemies. I'm going to leave that on the bar and move down a little bit here. But sure enough, by the end of that trip, that tray of faith looks more like me than it does like Jesus. And our culture, our context, our era tells us, oh, you all get to carry your own tray in every sense. Even at church, where we have drunk so deeply that we can say, oh man, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm sorry, ahead of time. Even at church, where we can say, I'm just not being fed. I don't like the style. I love this line from Elijah who was speaking out against Jezebel and her influence on the people of God. Listen to this. And imagine that this is a line that might be delivered at us today. Listen to this. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, just go and follow Baal. But if we're going to let Jesus carry our trace through the line... Let's go. And let's put up with whatever ends up on the tray. Really? No amens? Okay. All right. Now, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, because remember, they're getting better. There are some who are faithful. There are some who are doing it well. And folks, I know many of you are doing this very well. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not yet learned what some call the deep things of Satan, and to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, but only hold fast to what you have until I come. Something breaks in the world when we say something like this. Yes, this is really true, but my circumstance is different. Yes, we are the people who hold tightly to this and this and this and this, but these are extreme days and extreme circumstances. A few years back, there was um, a shooting in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Remember this? Charles Carl Roberts marched into a one-room schoolhouse and shot and killed several people. Turns out his mom lived in the area, <laughs> the mother of the shooter. 
I want you to listen. I'm about to play. Uh, Jason, are we ready? I think that's what's next. Okay. I'm about to play uh, a fairly long clip for you. It's an interview that's done with her. The mother of the shooter. I, I want you to be listening for, to be watching for how it is that a completely embodied faith affected this woman and continues to affect the world. I mean, I, I need to be honest with you. If it had been my child, I think somewhere within me I would have felt the need to have vengeance. Do you know what the Amish who preach peace and forgiveness did the same day? Rather than giving lip service to forgiveness, they so embodied forgiveness for the shooter's wife that they made food for her. That they raised money for the shooter's children's college fund. The Amish, who did not have enough money to pay their own bills, or the hospital was concerned. I'm just being honest with you. What would you do if it was your kid? What I'm saying to you is, perhaps I am part of the problem. Perhaps I am one of those people who is able to say, we really should forgive and we must explore the power of forgiveness unless you cross a certain line and then it is all bets off and you might get shot back. To the church in Thyatira, to folks who perhaps were suffering mightily, Jesus, through the author, says, something big can happen when you are undiluted. There is a strength to your faith like there is a strength to the metal when it is undiluted. And perhaps this is what it could look like. As the nation marks the anniversary this week of the Newtown, Connecticut school shooting, families of some of the 26 who were killed attended a vigil today at the National Cathedral in Washington. Prayers were offered for all of the victims of gun violence in this country, and that would include the five young Amish girls who were killed and five who were wounded just a few years ago in South Central Pennsylvania. Jeff Glor tells us that out of the horror of that school shooting has come a lesson in forgiveness. It's been seven years since Terry Roberts' life changed forever. In October 2006, her 32-year-old son Charlie walked into an Amish school in Lancaster County and shot 10 young girls before killing himself. I heard the sirens and saw helicopters. Then the phone was ringing and it was my husband. And he said, I need you to come to Charlie's house right away. And I got out of the car and I looked at my husband and these sunken eyes just saying, it was Charlie. It could not be. And yet it truly was, it was true, it was our son. Robert's initial reaction was that she had to move away. But the Amish came to her house the night of the shooting to say they wanted her to stay. Some of the victim's families attended her son's funeral. There are not words to describe how that made us feel that day. 
and then for the mother and father that had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow, is there anything in this life we shouldn't forgive? Terry Roberts now shares this message with those who've experienced trauma. And every Thursday, she cares for the most seriously wounded survivor of the shooting, now 13. It's against Amish beliefs to appear on camera, so Donald Craighill often speaks on their behalf. You have this mother who raised a son that did this horrific damage to this young woman. And the mother has the courage and the spiritual fortitude to come back and to care for this uh, young woman. And the parents of the young woman welcome her into their home. It's a powerful, powerful story. Those families in Newtown who may still have understandably conflicted feelings now still less than a year later, what do you, what do you say to them? Ask God to provide new things in your lives, new things to focus on, and that doesn't take the place of what is lost. But it can give us a hope and a future. A future made possible for Terry Roberts because of forgiveness. Jeff Glor, CBS News, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Oh, God. Give us an undiluted faith. I'm just smart enough to know that when you go to your real lives tomorrow, <laughs> I'm just smart enough to know that you will be bumping up against faith system that perhaps is not in lockstep with Christ. And those Amish are odd, aren't they? They're just weird. <laughs> Strange. Because they have so totally given themselves to a particular understanding of God and then faith that by the end, I guess you could call them undiluted. I wish I was more undiluted. Don't get all holier than thou than me. I wish you were less deluded <laughs> too. Hey, what if that was our prayer? Are you suggesting, John, that we should all grow beards and move out into the woods? <laughs> Somebody said yes. No, I, I am aching for an undiluted faith that then erupts in a classroom, that then erupts in a hospital, that erupts into the real estate business, that erupts in a household, that erupts within a relationship that is struggling what I'm, what I'm aching for, for me, for you, for us, is the kind of purity that allows for something so strong that life can't break it. This was a city that understood weapons and it also understood war. <laughs> 
as part of the Roman Empire, they would have understood that this goddess Venus, perhaps sometimes referred to as the morning star, the brightest of the stars in the morning, they would have understood that this goddess Venus represents victory, victory. So just as certainly as every morning you're going to wake up and see this bright morning star, know that Venus is going to grant you victory, so they would say. Jesus says to the undiluted and those who would be the undiluted, to all who conquer, and by the way, our Jesus, our Lord, and therefore our kingdom defines conquering in a very strange sort of way. To all who conquer, I will give the morning star. Now, interestingly, by the end of this book, Jesus will be referred to as, not Venus, Jesus will be referred to as the morning star. So it's as if Jesus is saying, yes, if you pursue the pursuits of the Roman Empire, they're going to try to guarantee you the gift of the morning star, so victory, Venus herself, but I will give you, says Jesus, the morning star, I will give you of myself. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. John, what does it look like? What does it look like when Jesus gives us of himself? It looks like this. The meal today is for the undiluted, but also for the diluted who recognize that by their participation, this Jesus has in mind that you would be moved toward purity, refinement, that these eyes that burn like fire, the fire that is hot enough and strong enough to burn away impurity, that you would recognize that these, that these eyes also cannot let go of a love that sees you, recognizes you, accepts you where you are, and then insists on where you could be. And so every time we gather around this table, Christ is making good on Christ's promise. I will give you of myself because I know that it's hard to be faithful. If you're helping us, if you'll come and gather around the table here. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And as we participate and partake, Strengthen us, God, to be less diluted. Strengthen us, God, to at least desire to be less diluted. God, I pray for the people in the room who are working very hard. They're trying as best they can to be the undiluted. But God, I pray just as much for the folks who aren't yet ready to make that leap for folks who are willing to go no farther than this today, well, I'm at least willing to be made willing. I pray, God, that they will find that strength and that renewed imagination here at the table today. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, exit your pew to the left.
come forward and approach someone holding a tray of bread. Come ready to receive. Come with your hands cupped, ready to receive a gift, something that you cannot pray for. The person holding the bread will take a piece of that bread, press it into your hands and say, here it is, the body of Christ broken for you. I hope that you can hear in his or her voice, Christ making good on Christ's promise. I will make myself available to you. Once you've received that piece of bread, dip it. Dip it into the cup held by the person standing right there. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. I hope again you will hear in that brief little liturgy, you will hear Jesus making good on his promise to make himself available to us. And then take and eat and then find a place to pray, whether that be here at these altars, the side padded altars where people will go to pray a prayer for healing, someone will meet you there. Or perhaps you'll want to circle all the way back around and pray at your seat. No matter where you pray, please pray that God would take us, each of us and all of us, and make us a little less deluded, movement by movement. If you can't come to us, then Jason will come to you. Just make sure he sees you. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took, took bread and blessed it and broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, broken and made available to you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And every time you drink it, Remember me. Know that I'm making myself available to you. The call goes out today to all the diluted. You are welcome at this table. The only thing that you need in order to be able to come with great excitement and enthusiasm to this table, all that you need is an awareness of your need. So across the sanctuary, all those aware of your need, stand and come and receive the resource resource for our continued growth and grace
a theme. Lord, we would like to be less deluded than we are. <laughs> yes, we would like to be totally and completely undiluted, I think. But we confess, Lord, that we fear and we know at some level that that kind of purity of heart and mind 
comes with a cost. God, would you remind us that that kind of purity in heart and mind also comes with the promise? The promise of sight, the promise of companionship. We hear it, we hear it in the beatitude. We know that the undiluted, the pure in heart, will have the capacity to see. So what we need, Lord, is encouragement. We need a glimpse. Before we have full sight, Lord, we just need that glimpse to see the awesome power of purity undiluted heart God I pray a great prayer of gratitude for those who have suffered because of an undiluted heart who have suffered at work perhaps even at home because of their allegiance God, may they know of your love, and may they know of our love, encouragement. God, I pray for those who are keenly aware right now that they have a foot in two different kingdoms, a foot in two different worlds. I pray for folks like me who need to make sure that on a daily basis, perhaps an hourly basis, if not more often than that, that we are opting correctly God, give us the strength, courage, the imagination to follow. In other words, give us an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. to your attention, the names, the faces of those who are suffering and struggling. If you are aware of someone sick or in pain, and pain can be defined in so many different ways, would you breathe a brief, as specific as you can, prayer right now for him, for her, for them? continue to strengthen our vision, strengthen our hands and our feet. Father, we pray for this block party today. folks who would come and find a resource here may not have known about before and they find hope and future here may not that they may not have thought was possible before 
God, today, like every day, would you help us to be a people who can live into and up to the high calling of this prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, and we will pray it today using debts and debtors to church. Pray along with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, 